I'm Isaac, your podcast host, and welcome to This Undefined, the podcast that aims to break down the social context of what you've heard and what you believe. From health, culture, business, and beyond, no topic is left off the table. So tune in as we try to make sense of how we all defined our own perspectives and the people who have an opinion about it. Up next is our series about training. Skill over time creates proficiency. And how we train ourselves for goals extends beyond the physical capabilities we exercise day to day. It's not just our body being challenged, but also our whole philosophy in life. The training methods we use to handle challenges is reflected by the way we use our body in sync with our mind. Be it the limitations, the repetitions, the endurances, the strengths, they're all molded by the skills we practice and appreciate. Our guest in this series display how training in any format becomes a personal art by its very nature. This is Personal Training Undefined with guest Andy Vincent. funny because if we would have done the podcast yesterday that would have been the second time some kind of weird incident happened right before i had to do one of these there was somebody i had on who uh there was a drug bust i was like seriously and he was like yeah there was there was a drug bust right next door that's <laughs> now wild. we have an earthquake <laughs> i love it that's my first ever earthquake um, uh, you're just collect you're collecting disasters i know um, oh i don't know if that's a good thing <laughs> <laughs> These uh, things come in threes. So I'm afraid your oh. next podcast is going to be Ooh. the same. Just like pre-warn them and say, just, you know, some sort of big life thing is going to happen just before we get on a call. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? Just prepare yourself for that. Prep them um, real quick. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited because I have absolutely no idea what we're talking about. So, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's kind of cool. That's a good thing because if, if I ever get like preparation notes to prepare, I usually make mistakes. So I'm trying to like remember what I wanted to say. So, um yeah. Oh, but before I forgot, uh, tell everybody who you are. Um, so I'm Andy Vincent. I'm a personal trainer person for 22 years. Oh my God, I hadn't actually thought about that. 22 <laughs> years. Uh, In-person trainer for uh, 17, 18, and then the last sort of four or five years with an overlap, uh, I've been a, a trainer online. So uh, I've gone through kind of like the traditional a uh, commercial gym move more towards a um i guess luxury gym but very much more driven towards sports performance kind of training works in ed- works in education so working with other personal trainers educating them um done a lot of rehab in that process as well because i've had a good relationship with various physiotherapists and uh, and then yeah then decided to branch off on my own and uh, start my online training business so experience seems to highlight the ease and proficiency you have in directing general questions about fitness into like a clearly defined purpose. So what are the similarities that you've found are recurring and difficult to get a client to understand about health and fitness journeys? Like it's not all black and white. No, it's not. I mean, ultimately, there are some, there are some key principles to fitness that are pretty black and white, mm-hmm. which is the sense that. I think the fitness industry is born out of necessity in the sense that we are trending towards being more sedentary. Everything we do with changes in technology, we, everything is way more convenient. Therefore, we are just becoming more and more sedentary. So the, the need to have purposeful bouts of 
fitness, activity, training, workouts, whatever you want to call them, is driven from the fact that if we're not working out, we're usually sitting down. If we're sitting down where we're doing so much less, our expression of movement is so much less. So therefore, for me, it all boils down to we just need to move more. Fitness is just this accumulation of movement. So that can be to one person, Tai Chi, yoga, whatever. Uh, it can be to another person going for runs, going for walks. I'm more lean towards strength and conditioning. So I'm, I'm more of like based on strength training. Um, this accumulation of movement, expression of motion through our bodies, through our joints, and also therefore through our cardiovascular system, through our cardiorespiratory system, is really what it's all about. And there's a lot of ways to shape it, which is good because we're all different and we all like different things. Um, but actually, if you sort of boil it down or you cut it down to like cells in our body just responding to a demand, and that demand is physical activity, um, yeah. that's key. So getting someone engaged in the process is then more behavioural. It's more what people enjoy, what's fun to them, what they're going to stick to, what they're consistent to. But you cut it down to what it is. It is just motion. It is movement at the end of the day. Um, so as much as, yeah, fitness means a lot of different things, a lot of different people, um, I think it is actually all still the same kind of stuff, just dressed up slightly differently within the framework of yoga, Pilates, like strength training, HIIT, CrossFit. Um, there's a lot of comparisons. There's a lot, there's a lot of very, very distinctive similarities between the way we move through activity through our joints in a strength training session to what you see in a yoga class. It might not look the same to the untrained eye, but to a, to a coach that just knows movement, it just, it's the same kind of stuff, just done a little bit different. Mm. So how do you define personal training? And what does that mean to you? Um, <clears throat> I guess there's a bit of a bugbear of mine, a, a little bit. Um, what I don't define personal training as is, personal training is not just putting someone through a workout. And I think that is the... And I did it as a younger coach. Um, and the nice thing about being a little bit older is I can draw my experience and things I've done very poorly over time. And I remember as an early coach, it was just putting someone through a workout. I didn't teach anyone anything. It was just, you come to me, I'm going to make you sweat. And some people like that. I get that some people don't want to think. They just want to go in and they just want to move. And 100%, there's, there, I guess there's room for that. But as a personal trainer, you, you kind of have this unique opportunity to be able to provide education to empower people to be able to do certain things without you not necessarily strength training and those sorts of things but certainly understanding how moving super important uh, like prioritizing walking mobilizing your joints having a stretch session outside of the gym understanding how to move through your movement so coaching someone technique of an exercise is kind of wrong what we want to coach is how we move we coach people to move we move in exercises as well but there's a big similarity between how you hinge in a squat to how you hinge in a downward dog in yoga to how you hinge in certain pilates movements so we're just trying to educate people how to move how to move through their joints better expression motion better so the coach is a really great role as a teacher to teach people to empower them to be able to understand long term what it's going to take to take care of themselves uh, forever. Um, we think of training as often 
time framed into I'm getting married in six months. I'm training for a, a, a wedding. I've got a vacation in three months. I've got some sort of date that I'm working towards. And we need to pull people away from that and say, hey, this is actually something we need to get you engaged in forever because your life is trending to being sedentary. So we need to have, if you're going to have a big chunk of your day where you do nothing, you're going to need to have 45 minutes, half an hour, whatever you can put aside to as many days a week as possible to purposeful bouts of activity. How can we do that safely? How can we do that progressively over time? And how can we make sure that you aren't just battering yourself in the gym and you do really um, incorporate recovery types of activity? So for me, it's it's about empowerment. I want to teach people to do this without me. Um, That's kind of, I think, the key to coaching. It doesn't sound like a great business model, but actually when you empower people, they respect you more and they stay with you longer because they really appreciate what you're doing for them. And there's lots of little things as a coach that you can impart to your client and therefore never be afraid to try and give it all away. Don't do it. Don't do it in one massive hit. You do it over time. You do it like logically slowly. Um, but for me, that's kind of the biggest part of being a coach and being a personal trainer. Do you feel like that's how people understand it as? Do they start off that conversation that way? No. And in my world where people come work with me, they would probably have seen me in social media or they would have heard me talking in a gym. And um, myself and coaches like me, we, we sound a certain way. Like with our sessions, when you watch me train a client, we're talking, we're, we're going through technique, we're having like conversations around training. I'm not, my clients aren't walking out of sessions absolutely in pieces on the floor. They are, they're walking out of sessions, hopefully energized, feeling strong with a high five at the end because they've done something they've never done before, maybe in a pull up, maybe in a deadlift, whatever it might be they're working towards. Um, I think most people, when they come to a trainer, think they're coming to a trainer to get results. That's the kind of key. Mm-hmm. Uh, because getting results is kind of what everything is based around. And getting results is, I guess it's the driven by the consumer of personal training. They want results. Media tells us we want to get results. Get a personal training, you'll get results quicker. Yeah, maybe you will. But are you going to get results quicker that you can sustain? If you just look at, if we talk about getting in shape, losing body fat, getting in shape. I know this isn't necessarily about nutrition, but the, the science and the, educa- the the research into losing weight is clear. Losing weight is hard, but sustaining weight loss is terrible. Like people struggle to lose weight in the first place. And then the stats on people that maintain and sustain fat loss after yeah. losing it is borderline zero. It's like it's under 5% of the people that lose a, a, a significant amount of weight are able to keep it off. So getting results, whatever getting results means, mm-hmm. is not the answer. That's not what we're here for. We're here to teach people how to um, live a lifestyle that's conducive to being healthy, to potentially shifting body fat down and, and losing weight if that is the goal, to increasing muscle, to improving joint health, having sustained energy, improving sleep, improving their relationship with food if that needs to be done. There's so many things that you can do as a coach to help people. Getting results for me, is skewing people's perception of what a trainer is all about or what a trainer can be about because the, the result isn't the that's not the end getting mm-hmm. getting in shape isn't the end result staying mm-hmm. in shape is the end result being healthy around that as well because you might have been unhealthy in the, the chase of these results and then you've got to try and live a life that is healthy around it to sustain to sustain it so i think yeah people kind of think that coming to train is going to be the kind of like 
shortcut to getting lean, almost like trainers have got some kind of knowledge they're not, that's not out there in, on social media, not out there in a press. And most people kind of know the, the basics around getting in shape. It's then consistency, accountability, and then a coach can really help with that understanding about sustainability and like, hey, if you want to go down that route of getting in shape in 12 weeks, what potentially could be the drawbacks to that? And potentially there could be another option which might take slightly longer, but you've got a way better chance of sustaining it. Being in shape basically means, for me personally, I want to die healthy. Like I want to die good joint health care. Like I want to be in, in good mental and physical shape with as little pain as possible, still training up until the, the last day that I physically can. Um, it's not looking great for a photo shoot or looking great for a holiday because then we've all seen people three months after. Um, and that's, that's a really sad truth of the industry. Um, so mm -hmm. if you can start to talk longer term, teach people, empower people to make changes longer term, then we're better coaches. And we're, it's maybe not quite so sexy and not, won't sell things quite so well on social media and in magazines, but it's what we should be striving for. Do you think that will happen? Because the, the opposite is probably the most things that you see where it's somebody who's 18 and has great genetics and then they have a big following and uh, they look good. That still seems to be like the biggest amount, but you are the example of stick to the basics, which is something I do as well. That's been something with you that's been very consistent. The way you did it is possible because you're very successful. You, you've been all around the world and you train from different parts of the world. So you've seen a lot of things. Can you speak a little bit about that? Let's face it, the industry skewed towards it's, yes, there's people, people get into fitness at all stages of life, 100%, mm -hmm. and get into being a personal trainer at all stages of life. There's a low barrier to entry to the industry, but the majority of people coming into the industry uh, that flood the industry are young. So you have, and in no disrespect, I was a young, naive coach that thought I knew everything, and, um, and I help people the best I, can, best I can. I never went out my way to, like, to misguide people in any way but i just didn't know what i was doing so i was that guy smashing people on rowing machines like mm. doing burpees and making sure everyone left a session just dead like that was my job um and with education and consistency in the industry and then just realizing that this isn't this isn't working this isn't sustainable i'm getting a lot of client injuries i don't enjoy this it's not I'm not learning anything in that process as well. So I switched much more towards education. But I'm really glad I've been that coach that's made those mistakes. So I, I have no ego when I see a young coach or any coach making the same mistakes I made. I just think at some point in time as a coach, if you're still a coach in five, 10 years time, you're not going to be coaching this way. I just can't see mm -hmm. it happening. So as the younger trainers, these currently coming into industry, and this has always been the case, we just never had social media before. We didn't have social media before. Yeah. Young, young, attractive people were the most popular person trainers in the gym back then. And then, and they might have had the biggest client base based off their genetics. Nowadays, you can get much bigger audiences and much bigger client bases mm -hmm. off it. So it's, it's trended up a little bit as far as much money you can make as a trainer doing it. But this, it's always been there. And it's always going to be there. Um, but the and it's kind of fair a, a little bit because in order to maintain that, you have to have some kind of awareness. Like I can see why somebody would gravitate towards that because that's a result yeah. that happens, right? But, but yeah, like it still doesn't mean though that the knowledge is fully there, I guess, like, or experience. No, just, no disrespect to any coach. A coach under sort of like three years experience, like they're going to be making all mistakes under the sun. Yeah. If, you, if, you're, if you're paying for a... A 21-year-old training program online, 
just mm. just know you're buying mm-hmm. basically rubbish it's going to be rubbish <laughs> like, yeah. I, I would struggle to believe it's going to be anything that's actually worthwhile doing but the reality is like for me personally i i went through my own journey with my training and the way i had to start adjusting my my world around my clients around the way that i adapted as i got older and the sort of person that i work with they've gone through that similar journey themselves like when they were younger they were doing things that were just not sustainable they were just like hey i, I can't I can't smash my body like this. I can't have this yo-yo and energy that I finish a spinning class and I'm absolutely tanked for the rest of the day, propped mm-hmm. up on caffeine. But you know what you almost, it's very hard to be told as a young adult. Um, you just have to learn as you get a bit older. And this is the same in business, the relationships, fitness, whatever in life. You make your mm-hmm. own mistakes, you learn, you adapt, you go through that. I don't think we can tell 21-year-olds about sustainability and fitness. <laughs> like they don't care. And when you're 21, <laughs> you, can, you, you can get away with it. Yeah. But when you get to sort of 30 and onwards, all of a sudden you're like, maybe I've got kids, maybe I've got a business that requires more, um, more of my time. I can't put aside so much time for training. I'm noticing fluctuations in energy. Uh, what I was doing with my nutrition that used to work isn't working anymore. All these things happen and we, we seek alternatives. And then when, they, when people seek alternatives, they find likes for yourself, they'll find the likes of me, they'll find the likes of lots of my peers on social media. Um, there's a place for it all in fitness. Mm. Um, I never, I speak to a lot of personal trainers that get quite frustrated by things. Like, don't yeah. get frustrated. Just appreciate that mm. it's a massive market. I don't believe it's saturated. I believe that fitness is booming. There are mm. millions of people. That we, let's look at the obesity <laughs> epidemic. Like, mm. we are not winning in fitness. We are, as much as there's a lot of trainers out there, it feels saturated. There's a lot of people that need help there's mm. look there's more people that need help than there are trainers helping people so mm. there's always gonna be business people are always going to start to realize they need a trainer and let's say someone's got themselves out really out of shape and they they are trending towards being obese they're not going to look at a 21 year old person trainer and go or potentially not going to look at a 21 person trainer and go <laughs> that looks like the sort of thing i should be doing they're probably going to yeah. go i want to work with someone that's a bit more empathetic that's probably got a bit more experience mm that speaks in a way that doesn't make me feel like I'm being judged. Um, so they'll, they'll naturally like deviate or tra- transfer, mm-hmm. uh, transition towards trainers that have a different tone. So, um, yeah. yeah. And it seems yeah. like, uh, cause in training is such an individual thing. So unless you're in a corporate gym or, or if you want to talk to other trainers that are in your gym, you sort that journey sort of a solo one. Right. And so to realize all the things we're talking about, that requires you to have to bounce off of other people or other types of personalities, because then we get the other extreme where it's, you know, everything becomes dogmatic. This is the way to do it because I got this result. But it really depends because everyone's so different. Yeah, this is the thing. Like, um, we're all very similar in the sense of you cut us down to mitochondria and cells and myofibrils. And we are just adapting to the stresses that we place upon the human body. Um, so there's a very similar, there's a serious, like a very distinct similarity to the way that the human bodies adapt mm-hmm. uh, to stresses and exercises and physical stress that we adapt to. Um, but you come up again to, we've got different limb lengths, we've got different proportions, we've got different like start points around. Um, some people will just naturally have more body fat at a younger age than others. There's only things that then change on top of that. Um, previous experiences when we're younger, some people just don't like running because they ran when they were younger. And like, if it's a woman, maybe they ran without a sports bra and they didn't like that feeling. So mm. they, they're kind of afraid of running. So 
there's all these things that behaviourally as we get older and we are this blueprint both emotionally and physically of previous stresses and traumas which could be injury but it could be bereavement and loss or, or something else um, we hold all these things in us as, as we explore fitness as we get a bit older we have those and, that, and this could be things if we talk injuries this could be ankle injuries so therefore certain activities hurt or just are hard to move into so certain forms of training become more challenging and then you just have the enjoyment factor and the behavioral factor some people enjoy team sports some people need that like the need to be in a community some people just like doing it by themselves um, and that's great so we've got all these different ways to apply physical stress to a human body mm-hmm. um like we said at sailor level we are just adapting to physical stresses and the adaptations are things like gaining muscle mass uh, storing better energy in the cells improving capillary supply improving coordination and nerve connection those things are pretty similar to everyone but how you apply the stressor yeah we've got mm-hmm. loads of different ways of doing that and it's super important to realize that there are this is an accumulation of movement there are billions of people on the planet with huge variety or, or a huge need for different variations. Um, so just find the one that people like. If people like to go to dance classes, who are we to say not to? Um, we want to find things that people enjoy and, uh, and keep them consistent because that, the consistency is the most important thing. Find stresses that, find physical stress, find a way of applying that ongoing and keep going all mm-hmm. over time. Mm. was there a moment for you where you sort of that clicked for you was there a story or or an interaction that you had in questions around when I had a biggest the biggest change in my mentality I probably had two biggest changes I went from being like a football soccer um player when I was like 25 and I was super uh just didn't like my body had a really bad relationship with my body and I used to hate being able to see my rib cage and I remember seeing a picture of me on holiday and I was like, oh God, I look really skinny. I hated it. So I started doing loads of bodybuilding uh, and then it was all physique-based training and all I cared about was inches on my chest, growing my arms. And that was the only thing I really cared about. And I wanted to be super lean at the same time. So it was effectively overtraining and under-eating. Um, mm. But something that you have to do, I think, <laughs> to learn. Yes, yeah. of course, in yeah. the ideal world, you don't do it that way. But hey, I, I, draw, I draw huge... Um, knowledge uh from my errors back then and uh, when i talk to clients I've, I've got a pretty good first-hand experience of some of the errors that people make when they start to train and then when i turned 32 i was getting a lot of, i had a lot of injuries anyway from football they carried through into uh bodybuilding and then when i hit 32 i found strongman training uh, this was back mm. in 2012 i went to a strongman gym and was just humbled to I mean I walked in thinking I was pretty big, pretty strong, and <laughs> probably probably quite cocky still with it. Um, and then you walk into a strongman gym and the guys in there are monsters. They're enormous and they're super nice. And they're just like <laughs> picking up they stuff and throwing are. it around and having a laugh and they have no ego. They don't care. They're 40 odd years old. And you're like, wow, you guys are just machines. <laughs> like, um, and I remember having, I was on a, I was on a lecture uh, around that sort of time. And we were, I was talking to a, uh, the, the lecturer and I asked about sort of like maximizing strength. And one of the things that really resonated with me was like, he just said to me, Andy, you are just too lean to be maximizing your strength. If you can see yourself as a strength athlete, 
then your level of lean is just not conducive to maximizing the recovery that's required for an athlete that's going to be putting that much physical demand on their body. Um, and that was really good. That, that came at the right time. It, it really influenced my, my mindset towards what I was doing nutritionally at the time. Strongman training, training made me move my mind away from athletic, uh, the aesthetics and, and chasing aesthetics and move my mindset to more towards performance. And then from about 33 onwards, and I'm 42 now, 42 this year, um, that period has then been where I've been, I need to change the way. I didn't even probably sit down and think about it. I, I, it just happened. I naturally gravitated towards people that were more performance-based, coaches that were more performance-based. I didn't surround myself with so many bodybuilding coaches. I surrounded myself more with um, sport performance coaches, um, maybe like physical therapists, physios, started doing more physio work rather than, um, rehabilitation always sort of helped, intrigued me, but I never really went deep into it. So that period onwards for me was a big transition. And I always look back at that, uh, walking into the strongman gym the first couple of times and being like, you need to park your ego at the door here, Andy. And uh, I usually get, like, you get ripped apart. So yeah, for me, that was a quite a distinct sort of journey through my career. Mm. So do you reflect back on where you are today? Does that happen for you or you don't kind of take the time to look at that? And now I do. It's something my business coach um, suggests to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, my wife, she started working with a, a business coach, actually like a life coach. And um, we had like a weekend. It was our anniversary last year. And they, they, the life coach said to take the time to sort of see how far you've come and just kind of track back. And it was really, it was really nice because I hadn't done it for maybe six months or so. Just mm-hmm. to think about the, that journey through. One thing about moving online rather than being in person as a trainer is I was a very busy in-person trainer, so I was very proud of the fact that I could do eight hours of PT a day, which basically meant three hours, like a couple of hours to train, quick shower, back on the gym floor for three hours, maybe a half hour gaps here and there to grab some food, then crack on another hour or so, and then rinse and repeat that. I never, when you're in that process, weekends was just like, was either just burnt out, like relaxing or not really thinking about it. So I spent a lot of time never reflecting. Going Mm. online gave me some more time. And one of the things online, reflect on my journey, but also reflect on the things I've learned over time that I'm just not applying to my client. It was a huge Mm. one for me. It's like, I've amassed this knowledge. And in truth, I'm not using it enough. I'm I'm doing my clients a massive disservice by not having a better understanding or better way of transferring or or relaying the information that I've learned over time to my clients. And then that's the kind of journey I took to, to sort of, mold my online business and the way that I coach to make sure that I do teach people the things that I've learned over time and the experiences I've had uh, but to do it sort of systematically yeah because your goals like the way you have set like how I've seen you kind of navigate everything I'm like that's kind of how I want to be <laughs> it, it finished with around the kind of like the business of the way my business has gone it's uh I didn't necessarily set out to I I well I can't I honestly can't say that I left London and expected in two, two, three years time to be sat on a, on a podcast with you whilst in Mexico, <laughs> having spent the last guys, three years working in Spain and around the world. Like I didn't, didn't necessarily set out to do that. I just knew I wanted more free time. I wanted to serve my clients better, do a better job, uh, get some of my life back, um, continue to educate myself, uh, continue to work with clients and, uh, do a better job of what I was doing because as an in-person trainer I, I look back and reflect like you just said of the things that I was still a good trainer but I was still making 
I wasn't doing a great job. I was just busy. I was busying myself in London. Um, and the nice thing about being online mm. is, yes, it's still busy, but you can you get, because you're not, you're not trading time for money and not, I can train 50 clients online, whereas that would be 50 hours of a week. That's a week just done. Whereas online, it's not like that. Um, you get to organize your, 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 your day better. So therefore I can have days, I can have part of my schedule can be about sitting down and reflecting i can journal i can i can set aside more time for self-development and for education so yeah for me the transition with my business and the way that it's all worked and the way that my 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 ethos as a trainer has evolved has been a natural evolution rather than like a forced goal i don't know how much i like goals um mm. because i find a lot of time if i set myself goals in business or in uh in, in my my training i get a bit disheartened if i don't necessarily hit them so rather than just setting long-term goals i just want to make sure i'm always progressing i want to make sure that i'm improving all the time and if i just feel like i'm improving all the time that for me mentally gives me way more um pleasure than sitting down and saying i want to have x amount of new clients i want to do this amount of courses i want to study this amount of hours per week i find that that stuff for me just doesn't work when I've done that it just makes me feel like I'm not achieving things if I don't hit targets and that's the kind of way I go about my workouts and I talk to my clients as well mm -hmm. rather than saying let's get your first chin up in, in six months it's like let's just make sure we're constantly improving let's just make sure we're constantly moving everything forward like not just one thing like every single exercise is moving forward and progressing and we're, and we're, we're backing off when we need to to be sensible and not injure yourself but we're progressing and I think that's yeah. the same with the way I've operated my business and needs to come to that conclusion because at first you set yourself lofty goals when you start um, transitioning online and I'm transitioning to being self-employed and, and all these things. So you set yourself these really lofty goals and the first year or so was, was hard. It was, it was tough. Mm -hmm. It wasn't very successful at first. It took time and uh, you rigged out yourself. And I had these, these, these goals. It was too big. And uh, again, my business coach, he, he really helped me to sort of like just calm me down a little bit and just say, let's just make sure that we are moving forward and we're not, we're not, aiming for anything in particular we are just always progressing and that won't work for everyone I mean, some people need those lofty goals to work towards but for my personality i just need to need i need to feel like i'm progressing all the time something you said was interesting it's busyness creeps in and i feel like when you're busy you know people say oh that's good because as a personal trainer you want to be busy but it can kind of also be a hindrance because it prevents you from reflecting or seeing that you're in a good spot Right. And realizing that kind of seems where you took a turn because there has been a difference that I've noticed that now how you approach your business and then also like what you put out, it's different. Your years of experience and education, it seems a lot more solidified and it's very direct and clear um, because that takes a long time to kind of develop. Have you noticed that you've made that shift? Yeah, 100%. I, I'm, I'm acutely aware of the, the changing language, the way that I operate. That's cool. Even, even to a year ago, um, as I've worked with clients and I, I, I develop, I'm very, very aware of the way that I've adjusted. Uh, that's based on the fact that my, my clientele is mainly female. So therefore, mm. um, my, my language towards, it has to be a certain way. It feels it needs to be a certain way for that audience online. Um, and I think like I, I sort of touched on before as well, like it's, um, it's very easy to study, get knowledge, be busy, study. I was busy. I was always being busy, like reading things, but I didn't apply it. Not fully. I didn't, I didn't necessarily read and think, how does this sit within the framework of everything else I've learned? What do I do? What can I take from this? 
I didn't think critically enough about what I was learning. I learned things and I ran with them because like someone smarter than me taught it to me. And then going online and stopping, I started to push back a little bit. And this isn't arrogant what I'm about. Well, I hope it doesn't come across as arrogant that I'll read things from Brett Contreras. I'll read things from Mike Boyle, people way more experienced than me. And I'll disagree with them. I'll be like, I disagree. I'm not going to message them and say, hey, I, I fundamentally disagree with your ethos. Some people do. <laughs> Some people do. And I, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to it. I'll just say, hey, I, I can see where their standpoint is. Mm-hmm. But within the framework of the knowledge that I've uh, created and mastered over the years, I, I actually disagree with that, that principle slightly. And um, this is my kind of reason why. What I really like is listening to Mike Boyle. It's like you get maybe an alternative, you get an alternative um, viewpoint. Mm-hmm. The ability to think critically has been the thing that I've, over the last two, three years, that I've started finally to be able to do. So I can read mm-hmm. things. There's so much information out there. Mm-hmm. And you've got to realize as a coach that we don't know so much about the human body. There are so many things. I would say we probably know 10%. We're sort of scratching the surface. And some of the things that we spoke about, like, like GI tract and mm. like the nervous system. I mean, we, we barely understand, like we understand maybe, we understand it's there, but we don't understand the connection and what it all means and how it all ties in. Um, and the same with anatomy, physiology, and all you got to do is go online and look at a few accounts and then start realizing the massive contradictions. And the contradictions are there, not because someone's right and someone's wrong, because they're both right, but they're also both wrong because mm-hmm. there's somewhere in the middle to, to sit. Um, social media needs, you need a topic to talk about. So therefore you, you go to the extreme ends because being at the extreme ends drives engagement. And then you know, and I notice that a lot. And then I can be kind of like comfortable going, I disagree because that's an extreme end or it's shifting towards one of the ends. When I, I think somewhere in the middle might be probably where I would, I could see where you might want to go to both ends with certain people, but as a mm. whole, I exist somewhere in the middle. And I think that a lot when I read a lot of things in, in textbook, I listen to podcasts and I had a wonderful conversation slash argument with a, a friend of mine about um, a nutrition conversation. And he was disgusted with the fact that I said that I would um, suggest to use diet sodas to clients. And he'd listened to Joe Rogan's podcast. And there was some doctor on there mm. saying how it's proven that, they, that, that diet sodas are uh, cause change to your gut bacteria. And we had this massive argument. <laughs> we were quite shocked. That I, I, I said that I actually would use them. And it's like, again, we, it's very hard to say the word proven. And if the doctor mm-hmm. said that, then that's clickbait because mm-hmm. it's super hard to say those things because to every proven piece of research, especially in that, because I've, I've seen some of the research, I can find a piece of research that quote unquote proves that it doesn't. So let's, let's if, we're, if we're cherry picking research here and using the word prove, we've got to be really careful. And for some people using diet sodas is absolutely fine. For some people, it's not going to be fine. For some people, if they're just drinking loads of like higher sugar sodas and it's a step in the right direction, it's the same with strength training or whatever training. We can move people in the right direction. We can be nudging the needle towards better without thinking we have to go to perfect. Like, because the, the, trying to go to perfect, trying to get perfect anything just means that you're forgetting that actually there's a huge spectrum of just slightly better improvements over time. Mm-hmm. And maybe some people don't need to go to perfect to get what they want and to live a life that they enjoy, uh, both in exercise, both in sleep, both in recovery, both in uh, nutrition. So, um, yeah. yeah, for me, it's been really good. I, I, feel, I feel really confident in myself when I am ever are questioning something I read, not like 
I'm not an idiot online. I very, very rarely among the messages to say I disagree with your opinion, but I'll speak to my colleagues, my peers, and my friends within the industry and say, hey, did you see Brett Contreras posted this? Hey, did you see this posted? Yeah, what do you think? What's your thoughts? My thoughts of this. And it's great. And that's an open conversation. Um, we're not, you're not being idiots about it. Sometimes people like to go, hey, you're wrong. And when you're going, hey, you're wrong, again, you're, you're going to these ends. And it's nice to be like, hey, I can see both sides, but I'm going to probably exist somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that seems to be the thing that people can't stay in, the kind of the moderate uh, kind of center where you see both ends and then try to meet in the middle. It's hard. People don't like to stay there. Or I, yeah. I feel like people are more moderate than we give them credit. I think it's just like this very polarizing thing that happens that people have to choose a team on the knee guy or the glute guy or you know all these different people and it's uh i mean it's uh, that's just media isn't it that's yeah. the, the need to go, need to go to an end is, is media and what we have to realize in in loads of things we do in life be that in news the how we how we digest news how we digest uh information around topics that we enjoy is that we'll often be shifted towards the ends because they are more engaging they are best mm. easy to write about they're much more impactful um, they're potentially more controversial so people go towards the ends but actually if you think of the day-to-day person's life we are slap bang in the middle some people were more dramatic and like things mm-hmm. to be really emotional and up and down and have this roller coaster of life but the majority of us just like you have a family you have a job and you get up at the same time every day we, we live this life in the middle and it's okay to then to do that with the way that we um, certainly when it comes to health, because uh, I think mm. I, 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 actually my conversation to you about coffee, um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, yeah, with that kind of like, I stopped drinking coffee and I feel way better for it. And then I, oh, I, I'm in the queue thinking, well, I was in a queue thinking there's no one's not drinking coffee, but <laughs> we can, tr- we can try all these things like, Hey, I should drink a amount of water each day. I shouldn't drink coffee. Hey, I shouldn't expose myself to sodium nitrates in processed food. I shouldn't do this. Shouldn't do that shouldn't eat fishes because fish because it's full of pesticides i shouldn't have like see all these things that you shouldn't do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so and, and, in, and in craving this people have this like wonderful like they, they gleefully tell you something they've read on social media and they're how they've changed something and they're really proud of themselves for it and that is great but sometimes in sharing information like that actually all you do is make someone feel a bit crap about themselves because they don't want to make that change they don't want to go sugar free they don't want to go mm-hmm. caffeine free they don't want to go yeah. alcohol free and they don't need to they, they can just be somewhere in the middle. They can just move the needle slightly towards a bit better. And um, I think that's the most important thing. If we can just get people moving the, a few needles towards a bit better, some can go more towards optimal, whatever optimal actually is. Not that we actually know what optimal is because, yeah, is giving up caffeine optimal? Who knows? Mm-hmm. Like you can, pull, you can pull on research, but mm-hmm. we, are, we are guessing at this stuff, really. We're getting yeah. research and it's educated guesses. And people speak in such authority about things. And it's yeah. like, you've just, you've read one thing or you've read a book. Like you've not got, you've not amassed. I, I stay in lane as much as I can. I've read a lot on the field, sport and exercise science. And I know that there is huge biases within mm-hmm. the field. Yeah. And it's the same in every single field. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think sometimes when I, when I hear advice, you know, I'm like, yeah, it's the kind yeah. of classic, just get, just get work for you doesn't mean it's going to work for everyone else. And it, it's, great to, it's great to give advice, but I mean, building a whole channel around it, <laughs> I always yeah. think it's amazing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, that's amazing that you can, that, that people, there's enough people to be engaged in that, um, yeah. that, that one bit of advice. 
like that's why the conversation on like what exactly people are trying to say is what I always try to kind of reinforce with people. It's like, so what do you mean? What is, why are you asking that question? Or what, what, cause people come to me with like research or they say, what do you think about this? What do you about think my clients? A lot of the things that I repeat over and over and I was like, well, I don't know, it depends. We can try it. Do you want to try it? Or you should try that and see what happens. And it's all like trial and error, but which do you want to have? Do you want to actually have the conversation or do you want to just stay on that one thing? Right. I, I, I mean, I, I have to check myself all the time because I don't know, let's talk about things like uh, high intensity interval training, which is mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite topics to, to moan about. Um, <laughs> and, there, and there's always the argument that, hey, Andy, you're saying that, that people aren't doing high intensity interval training and what they're doing is like a marketing. Because I effectively, if you look at the high intensity interval training literature, it's pretty much always cycle and sprint training, maybe rowing, maybe swimming. Um, it's never multidisciplined uh, circuits. So what, mm. what people consider to be high intensity interval training is not what the literature is saying. But the little spiel about it in the copy will be about science. And then the way that it delivered to the mm-hmm. end user is not what's done in the literature and therefore is not replicable of the results. Um, so I'm here saying, let's stop lying to people. High intensity interval training, you're not doing it. You're doing a circuit. And if we're doing a circuit very frequently, you're basically doing moderate intensity, joint unfriendly, not particularly sustainable, not gonna get you the results, training. And the argument to that is, yeah, Andy, but it's better than nothing. And it is better than nothing. Like, I can't mm-hmm. argue that. Like, yeah. I just want people to move. At the end of the day, yeah. we, you're fighting a battle that's not important. In my, me arguing about uh, high-intensity interval training isn't an important conversation globally because we just aren't moving enough. There's huge issues with obesity and, and disease in the world. We just need to get people more active. So there's one side of the brain that's like, hey, don't argue those points. Just get everyone just, just get everyone moving. But then you filter down a little bit and people want to start actually being a bit more um, smart with the way they do things because they're at this extreme and they're taking their protein shakes and they're at the extreme. They're taking their probiotics and they've cut coffee, they've cut sugar, they're doing high-intensity interval training. They're right up at the top. And they're like, this isn't sustainable because this is boring and it's horrendous and I also hear conflicting information. So they come down mm. a little bit to the middle and they mm. find you and me and they have conversations. And it's really good to have those conversations. So I appreciate that the entry level conversation mm. might be that polarized top bit or the bottom yeah. bit, like the extreme ends might get you in, but then when you're in, then you find us. Uh, so I'm definitely not putting out the information that gets people in. I, I mm. get people that are probably already exercising and it's not going so well for them. And they're not seeing results and they're frustrated, they're fatigued, they're fatigued, they're getting injuries, those sorts of things. So I really appreciate to get people started on the conversation of health. We want that. So we need those, those channels that polarize opinion and, and have massive followings. And then a lot of trainers will exist in the middle when people start to go, this information is not actually for me. I've noticed in my own life, this is not sustainable or it's not working. I need to find someone I've got a better, more balanced voice. And then all of a sudden they stumble across your account or they come into my account or one of my friends' accounts and they get a much more, oh, that's interesting, a much more balanced approach to this. Um, and again, it's why we need all these people. We need the bad trainers, not bad trainers, but <laughs> to get people in, to mm. realize it's nonsense, to learn their own mistakes, and then to find a voice of slightly better authority that's a bit more balanced. So um, again, yeah. goes back right back to start. I think we need all this. We need the health conversation has to has to happen. 
and then then they learn to come to you or me. So for me, yeah, I I sort uh, of I really appreciate this cycle in training. <laughs> Right. I, I don't get frustrated about it. I mean, there's some that I get frustrated about it, but it's just by myself. <laughs> I have messages from a P. I reckon I get a message from a person trainer at least once a week saying I'm really frustrated at the industry as a whole when I don't post because of it. And they'll, they'll list something because of, of that. And I'm like, just post, just post. We need as many people. Like if you've got 300 followers, you still got a community of people mm-hmm. that you can help educate and grow. And don't get frustrated that someone's got 300,000 followers or 3 million followers and they're talking mm-hmm. absolute rubbish. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like, don't see that as your competitor. I see that as like, no disrespect. If that moron can get 3 million followers and make that much money, then there's so much more potential for all of us beneath it. That, that's, they are the outlier. Then that's not the norm. That is an, an unusual thing to happen. We think it's more than it probably is because there's lots of accounts with lots of followers. But unless that, that trainer is going to go through the transition himself and, and change the language, at some point in time, the next pretty trainer in five years' time is prettier, mm. got a better six-pack, bigger boobs, bigger ass, bigger arms, mm. bigger pecs, whatever, mm-hmm. is going to take their place. If they've not adapted their, their message, they're going to get, they're going to get forgotten very quickly. Mm. The ones in the middle won't get forgotten because mm. they've got a sustainable message. So I'm always like to everyone, don't get frustrated. Let it, if anything, just let it inspire you to think what, what we can do now we couldn't do before. I could, have, I could influence 30 people in the gym. My, my 30 clients, that was my influence. Now I've got 16,000 followers. Cool. I've grown my influence so I can help way more people. I can, help a, I can help my client base way more, but I can still empower some knowledge onto my audience. So um, yeah, I, just, I see it all as a wonderful opportunity within the world of fitness. If you want to go and work abroad, you can. If you want to have a kid and, and work on the side, you can. Because an in-person PT, that's, that's not possible. So for us, mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a super important arena not to get frustrated. Just be consistent. Just, just post. Be balanced or whatever, whatever thing you want to do with social media. Um, and and never, never go down the rabbit hole of getting frustrated. Um, yeah. Social media at the end of the day is an entertainment platform. So like when I see things kind of displayed certain way, it's to try to lure people in. And so it's, it's rare to find accounts like yours where you have created it in a very specific way, uh, because most of the thing is trying to get you to watch this and just follow. Uh, but, and it's rare to find things like yours because it's not a platform that's necessarily for education. No, I mean, I think it is. A pla- I think social media should either be entertainment or education. And if it's not neither of those two things, then... I don't know what, why you would look at it as, an, as a consumer yeah. of social media. Um, appreciating that every single fitness professional on social media, bar, bar, bar a small percentage, is probably selling something to you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to lie to people. I, I get clients through social media. So I'm not directly selling a product to you. So I don't really need you to be doing... The way that my business is set up is... is is nice in the sense that I don't need a big following. I don't need to have huge amount of people coming through my sales funnel to be um, to be successful and to live the lifestyle that I want. So that puts me in a unique position that I, I can just be balanced. I don't need to have that tens of thousands, millions of people follow me. People like uh, Liver, whatever his name is. Um, where I'm in England, so I'm in the UK. Well, I'm UK based mainly, so mm-hmm. my, my 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 followers are UK based, so. 
people like we have James Smith, who's very controversial mm. online, and they need to be because he's got a sales funnel to fill up because he's got mm-hmm. a podcast, not podcast, sorry, he's got an app that needs, he would have spent thousands, tens of thousands of pounds on app development. He'll have a social media team, a marketing team to pay. So he needs to generate mm-hmm. huge volume and he's making way more money than I am. So I'm not, this isn't, I'm not knocking this. Yeah. Um, he, he needs to generate huge amounts of uh, traffic to, to fill up his funnel mm-hmm. and to keep it busy and to pay his, his bills. Um, so I appreciate as a consumer of social media, to these big platforms where people are selling products, they're also, they need to be doing things to, to get enough people in. And if you're going to be foolish enough to get sold on that stuff, um, sold on the controversial, we're, we're, we're really, we're so dialed into like, this guy is super controversial, but I'm going to watch it anyway, because it's just annoying to watch. Um, yeah, they, that you're, you're sort of, you're feeding their algorithm and you're making, you're mm-hmm. doing what they want you mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, but it's nice. I, I watch uh, Ben Carpenter and Sohi Lee quite a lot from the States. And I like their channels because they're, they're balanced and they're not necessarily selling to people. They're just kind of like, this is some information. Um, I'm giving it to you as it is. And people, kind of, people like to be told though. People like to be told paleo is best. Keto is best. Interval training is best. Rather than just like, it's all just kind of good. Pick, pick one, stick to it. The, 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 I know what's more appealing to people. They just want to be told because they've got businesses and kids and stuff to do. So being told what to do is quite nice. But the actual reality is that if you don't take ownership of your own health and you're, if you're outsourcing your health to someone on social media, you're just never going to get there. So at some point in time, you've got to make decisions for yourself. Stop waiting for some PT to tell you what to do. Start learning it yourself. Work with someone that can help you, empower you to do that. And then forevermore, until the day you die, you're in a great place to be healthy throughout yeah. the last years. So, um, no, I think social media is amazing. I think it's, uh, I got a lot of, I, I definitely gone through that frustration, anger, not wanted to post and sort of come out the other side. And now I very much have a very short, I don't look at things that I know are going to bother me. And if I do see things that are going to bother me, Joel Seedman stuff is just <laughs> utter drivel. I mean, I, I, if I look at that more than about 30 seconds, I get angry. Um, well, see, so don't look at it. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. That's, yeah, same. But, and that's, but the thing is, though, like, there, what ends up, and this is, again, I, I'm, I don't have the answers for it, but, and this is probably why I'm heading in the kind of counseling psychology world with sports and health, is because since I started this career, all I get is people who are in pain. And they, I did this, and they did, I followed that, and it's because I did this. And that's where I come from, because sometimes you see those channels, if it just comes across or someone sent it to you and, or they had a bad trainer, that, that my mindset with people always ends up going into a negative one. And I don't know if you, um, if you get this a lot, but whenever someone comes to me and they say, oh, the doctor said, I can't do this anymore, or I can't, or I will never be able to do that. To me, the way I try to flip that conversation is there's going to be a time where you're going to have to think about your health. Right. Because not because you're getting older, but because there's not a lot of things going on in your life and it's a quiet moment and you're like, oh, and then in that moment, what your nervous system is doing is pretty much just analyzing everything that you haven't been able to do. Right. And so when people come to me and they're like, I can't do this anymore, this hurts. You're just more aware of it now. Right. It's always been there. Like if you got hurt a long time ago and now you're getting all these problems, it's just that your nervous system now has time to like, okay, this came up. 
So I need to fix it. So it's not about getting older. It's just about knowing that you need to address those things without, without you going into a space where you're like, it's because I'm this. Uh, not necessarily, you know, like we just become more sensitive and more aware and we have more time, we have more space in our mind. And, and that conversation is where I always try to get with my clients because I've been seeing everybody coming in through the door with pain. I mean, yeah, pain, I mean, pain's a really powerful driver, isn't it? Right. If you're in pain, um, I'm going to pick on a particular um, training modality now. Um, <laughs> I've seen a, a large rise in proximal hamstring and uh, like sciatic nerve, posterior sciatic nerve issues um, from people that do Barry's Bootcamp. So doing mm. running on a treadmill on an incline, followed by strength training back onto an incline. So putting a, a proximal hamstring into a limping position in like an RDL or a, or a squat under load, under e a, a great amount of eccentric force, then going straight into shortened muscle positions on a, a treadmill. Um, fast there's loads of braking force the foot's flipped mm. off the back of the treadmill and um getting a lot of injuries off the back of it it's a dumb it's a dumb concept that mm. the whole the whole the whole way those classes set up is ridiculous the coaches don't understand anatomy and physiology um it's fun a lot of people enjoy it i've had clients in tears because they're in so much pain and they don't see light at the end of the tunnel. They can't walk without pain. They can't sit without pain. And they're chronically fatigued because they can't sleep. And these are stories that don't get on social media. No. And that they are the outliers. I appreciate mm -hmm. more people don't, more people just get bored of it and try something else. Um, but these things are injuring a lot of people. There's a lot of dumb stuff injuring a lot of people. I, I'm a big believer though that you do have to suffer for your sport. Like I sit here right now in pain from years of training. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Um, but I also know that when I've injured myself, it's doing dumb stuff. Um, mm -hmm. When I'm doing things sensibly, I don't injure myself. When I've done dumb things, <laughs> I injure myself. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. But the problem what we've got in, in fitness is that the actual act of physical activity itself in the gym shouldn't be the thing we injure ourselves in. Injuring yourself skiing, mm -hmm. injuring yourself like a wax in the head with a surfboard, injuring yourself doing that, that's one thing. Injuring yourself in a gym environment is stupid because we've got the capacity to scale in a gym setting. I can take mm -hmm. things easy and build them up gradually. I can layer stresses gradually. Um, so, but injuring someone in a gym setting for me is a little bit frustrating. Um, I appreciate gym injuries are, are, are even with the best intentions in the world and, and everything set out, you can still injure someone, but they're going to be much, much less. And you see a lot of injuries now coming off just stupid classes, stupid things that people do in training. But this idea that, like you said, you go to see your physio or your, your GP or your, your, your doctor and they say, yeah, you can't run again. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not, that's nonsense because of course oh. you can. Yeah. At some point in time, you're going down to, because let's look at, I don't know, you could just think of any sports athlete that you can think of that's got through a horrendous injury and come back to perform. So of course you can. You just need to learn the steps and respect your body. So at some point in time, and you've heard this, I guarantee you've heard the statement made before, um, I didn't really think about my body until it was broken. I didn't really think about my shoulder until I damaged it. I didn't really think about my back until I damaged it. You know what? For a lot of us, myself included, injuries were the thing that made me stop and think about what I was doing and start mm. to reflect on my actions. Um, 
So sometimes I think injuries are a good thing because they make people go, mm-hmm. you know what? I actually am not bulletproof. I can't do this stuff anymore. I need to find a more sustainable way. Um, and again, I like I default them back to my bias, strength training, because we can scale everything. I can take it up gradually. I can make sure I make structural balance across a workout by training different parts of the body. I can look to see what's slightly weaker and, and, and strengthen it. Uh, I can mitigate injury by doing that. Um, I can't stop injury, but I can mitigate it. Uh, but I know full well, <clears throat> there's no thought of injury. When I observe certain formats of training, it's like, that's just going to be a tough time for someone's lower back or a tough time for someone's proximal hamstring. Because um, <clears throat> you've not thought about what you're doing anatomically. You've just thought about getting a sweat on. So, um, yeah, for some of these, this, this whole get people moving, like, I appreciate it. Because I see the other side of injury, I have a bit less respect for those, what I consider to be probably more foolish sides of the way people train. And mm. it's, why I, uh, it's why I go on and on about sustainability. If you can't, if you can't see yourself doing that when you're 60, don't do it now. Mm. Like, have, have some respect for your body. It's cool how you've made what you do uh, your art and it's your tool that you have these conversations with because as you were saying that answer, you said my strength training foundation is kind of where you go to, to be able to talk about those things. In researching you, I remember listening to a podcast you were on where you talked about the Lululemon uh, education. Like you've been brought into situations where they've had you talk about, you know, strength training that you've gotten a, a, a following without people knowing who you were uh yeah i think i was i spoke i spoke at uh, a new lemon uh festival yeah. um and yeah it was one of those things that i'm quite i have a bit of bragging over because no one would know who i am as well so this is not based on who i am it's based on the topic itself yeah. um which just shows people's t- desire to learn and exactly. um so i did talk on the science of strength training uh, was the name of the topic. No one's going to know who I am. They're just going to know that I was affiliated to a, a well-respected gym. So you'll see a well-respected gym name and a uh, a well-respected brand in Lou Lemon, an interesting topic, and then my name underneath it. So um, and the room held like 200 people and we had probably 500 in there. People were just kind of like crammed in the corners and stood at the back and sit in the middle and like sat at the front. And um, it was a really proud moment just because... Yeah. It just showed that people wanted to know. And mm-hmm. I don't naturally, I'm not a great, I was never a great uh, um, uh, like speaker, public speaker. And uh, my, brother's, my brother's stag do, <laughs> okay. I, had, um, I had like 10 hours of coaching. Uh, I, I hired a coach and I got, I got a coach to help me with uh, getting over the nerves and public speaking. And, he, and he's a, now a really good boy. He's a, he's a close friend of mine and I stay in touch with him. And, um, and for that, I messaged him and said, look, I've got now I've got to go in front of people and, and talk. And, um, it, and then we sat down and we spoke about how I could do that. And I showed him what I'd written and he helped me sort of like formulate a, a better order to it. And um, I think that was a real, again, going back to those pivotal moments. It was one of those moments that I realized that balanced viewpoint was what people actually wanted. Like, and everyone in, the, everyone in the room was like, I had loads of questions at the end, which was, I was talking about building strength in years, not in weeks. I was talking about building muscle over decades, not over six months. And mm-hmm. a lot of people were like, it doesn't make any sense what you're talking about because <laughs> you're, everyone talked about 12 transformations. And I was like, <clears throat> you're sold a lie. That is a lie. I was like, 12, mm-hmm. 12, week trans- 12 weeks, 
is in my eyes one training block that's nothing <laughs> takes if i want to gain some, some muscle if i'm putting someone through a block of training to build muscle it's, it's at least a couple of years i'm not i'm not messing about trying to pretend to someone that i can get a decent amount of muscle mass on you in 12 weeks we can get some but what you're generally seeing in those situations is someone's preserved muscle and lost a lot of body fat in the process um had a spray tan got good lighting gone through some sort of dehydration protocol to make sure they've got rid of some water out of adipose tissue and then what you're seeing is that perfect angle that perfect moment where they turn tense and give it to you and then what you don't see is actually how they feel what they have to do to get there what they look like afterwards what was their relationship with food afterwards was it sustainable because we i can guarantee you maybe i don't know I'm making up numbers here, but maybe 1% of the people that go through transformations actually and look anything like that in one, two, five, 10 years time. And most people, when you actually ask them the question, what do you care about? Looking good once or being decent Nick forever and, and healthy forever. Like most people, unless they're like naive and very young, are going to say, yeah, you know what? I'd rather be a pretty good Nick and uh, like healthy, good relationship with food, for the rest of my life so it's a really nice moment on on this um little lemon um doing that that talk it was a, again this is my ego maybe this to tell this story but it, it was the, it sold out quicker than any other uh talk at the uh the festival at the time and again nothing to do with me as a name it was just to do with the topic itself it yeah shows that people people do want to know mm-hmm. a bit more information about this um and i was basic in my eyes i was like let's pull it right down to the basics um, and let's just teach the, the absolute basics around what happens to a cell when you apply force to it, which is in my eyes, an important thing to understand. Like it is important to understand that increasing muscle is just one of the cellular adaptations to sustained force being applied to tissue. In, improving capillary supply, we touched this already on this, but improving capillary supply, increasing tendon strength, increasing nerve connection, increasing storage of energy around those cells. Um, all these cool things that happen to us. And one part of that is also the increasing lean tissue at the same time. So when you can explain to people that we are just adapting, like if you're laying down muscle, that means you're putting constant stresses onto the body over time and each stress overlaps the next stress. And over time you built muscle in doing it. That takes ages. (laughs) That doesn't Mm. happen overnight. Um, Unless you're maybe... 21 genetically set up for it and you've lucked your way through it a little bit but every single 21 year old that lucked their way to a decent physique by 25 stagnates without knowledge they get to the point they can't progress any further and they're not getting any stronger and they're not getting any bigger and they turn to steroids maybe because they can't do it by themselves um and that's super important to understand that like you, you get those kind of like newbie gains as a, as a youngster. You've got genetically, you've got more juvenile growth hormone in you. So you're getting through the kind of like the easy bit and then you get dumped out in the hard end mm. around 30. You're like, oh, this is way harder now. So that's again, that's why I think that kind of like late 20s, early 30s, that's where people start to go, hmm, this, there's more to this than mm. high intensity interval training polarized viewpoints and all that kind of stuff yeah. Um, yeah how do you make the basics sound interesting and fun 
Well, I, I hope I make the basics sound interesting and fun. Um, you do, the, but do you ever think the, about how you do that? Again, I think it's education. I, yeah. uh, I, when, I, I, when I build a, pro- a program for a client, I take them to the back end build. I talk to them about um, categorization of exercises. I talk to them about the similarity between exercises. I appreciate the step up, step down, split squat, Bulgarian split squat, squat, lateral lunge are all ankle knee hip flexion what the industry recognizes squat patterning that's all the same thing like we can you can dump a number of names on top of them as as far as what's happening ankle knee and hip it's the same so let's stop trying to pretend that of the how many thousands of exercises that are out there that they're all different they're all very similar they're categorized slightly differently and if you're trying to put load onto a human being you have to be safe so therefore you have to train within the framework of certain patterns of movement. Other words, and I appreciate you can do like club training and kettlebell training that takes us outside of the kind of like classic categorization of exercises. But they're, they're the outliers, they're not the main exercises. So we want this core of exercise um, to teach people. There's a massive similarity between each exercise. Educate them to see that similarity themselves. Nothing nothing makes me feel better when a client messages me they send me a video a video on social media they're like this is a hip hinge isn't it andy yeah that is that's cool that's that falls into the category of exercise that we classify the hip hinge mm-hmm. um i go quite granular on the numbers mm-hmm. um i'm uh, i'm big on numbers i think it's the what's why i enjoy strength training i i think when people start to look at what they can do where they were where they've got to now and they can see these charts trending upwards. Um, people are like, yeah, I want to continue with this one. No, no, Andy, don't, don't change the exercise. Like, I, I can see that I'm really getting better here. I'm, I'm lifting more. I'm managing more volume. I feel more confident. Um, I don't want to change it now. Let's, let's stick to this. Whereas when people don't really know what they're doing and they're just kind of like in there and it's like, mm, getting bored. They're bored because you've not explained what they're supposed to be doing. You've not got them engaged in the process of understanding the the metrics on it and the metrics aren't like they're not the only thing that matters but they definitely are quite interesting to look at and then over time you do need some variation because it is boring to do the same thing all the time um but i kind of keep a good amount of consistency and then i rotate through some uh, like undulations of uh, variety which might be i don't know you have your main lifts and then you get like some what i classify as accessories or fillers at the end so my arm curl my my bicep curls and glute kickbacks and adductor bridges and core exercises yeah that stuff's getting churned through really quickly i can blitz through that no problem at all every five weeks let's get some new stuff in Mm. my deadlift my squat my step up my chin up my whatever it might be that's in there that's a big exercise that needs time is in there for a while and i get my clients excited uh, about the progress we have conversations all the time about how it's going can you see progression going forward is it time to change it uh, what we what, this is what we're going to do when we change it and um, they, they know that what's coming in next is a slight variation the same thing they see the similarity in the exercise that's changed mm-hmm. um for me that that's been big but i also appreciate that that type of training isn't going to be for everyone. Not everyone's going to enjoy mm-hmm. that type of lifting. And I have no ego to the fact that some people might train me for a little bit and go, oh, actually, I don't really enjoy this. Uh, this isn't mm-hmm. really what I, what I enjoy. If you don't enjoy it, it's very hard to stay consistent. So mm-hmm. if I heard words that people just weren't enjoying it, I probably would say, let's let's maybe find an alternative coach to work with that does things slightly differently. 
um, I have no ego or arrogance to the fact that I feel like everyone should do what I think is the correct mm. way to train. I have my, my bubble that I um, believe to be a sustainable, smart way to train. Um, but I always appreciate that not everyone likes weight training. Not everyone wants to get under a barbell. Not everyone wants to get a dumbbell and a kettlebell in their hand. Some people don't like training hard and like doing things a yeah. bit easier. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Like we, we, but again, we've got different trainers, different people, different systems, different yoga, these sorts of things, different people. So, um, but yeah, for me, it all boils down, down to education. If I can educate and empower someone, then um, sticking to something basic all of a sudden becomes cool and fun. Yeah, engaging someone looks different with per person. So is there a story that, that stands out to you where you had to kind of flip the way you sort of, that just completely threw you off? I, one of the clients that I messaged her quite recently to say that she won't know how much a, a impact she had on me as a young coach. Um, I, I started training with a client who I was just happened to be working like one shift a week for the gym and I was teaching classes. I was teaching a, a TRX suspension trainer class and then a circuit class afterwards. And I had like, like you do in classes, I had my core of people coming to the class. And, um, and she was very much like a class bunny who just loved high intensity for training, just loved getting a sweat on. And it was a real challenge, but she said, I want to come and train with you. I was like, just so you know, that style of training isn't actually how I train people. That's different to how I do it. And at first I tried to sort of like mold my training to suit her. And then I sort of sat down and said like, this isn't actually what I enjoy. Would you be prepared to put aside some time to, to learn the deadlift, to learn the squat, to learn these exercises. And I'll do a spattering of what you're wanting to do. And uh, she was like, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really wonderful kind of like transition. And then she just turned into a machine. She was just like, I remember thinking back then that women didn't have the capacity to get as strong as men. Women didn't have the capacity to build as much lean muscle mass as men because they had a lower set point, lower start point and lower testosterone. And just watch this woman just <laughs> like, just become immense. She was tiny, she was like 50 kilos, but she could like lift 2.5 times her body weight on a deadlift. She could, she was just an absolute powerhouse. Wow. Um, and it was amazing to see and then she and then she had this like we had this really nice conversation and she basically was like i've learned so much and i just want to go away and crack on with this and i'm going to go and learn brazilian jiu-jitsu and still strength train and it was wonderful i just really love working with her because she changed everything about the way i thought about women's training um but i did bring her into my sphere with it rather than what you actually asked me well, in the yeah because you you're not afraid to communicate mm. with people and i feel like sometimes a trainer could probably be like i'll just give them what they want it comes with confidence. I, I could do a very bad job at a high intensity interval session. Um, it would just be all over my face that this is nonsense, that I hate what I'm doing. Mm. I wouldn't have a smile on my face and I wouldn't be educating people along, along the way. So uh, I, over time, I, I, I started standing my ground with people. I'm a big believer in doing a lot of what people need and a little bit of what people want. Mm -hmm. So I'm not an idiot. Like if people want to get a sweat on at the end of a session, of course I'll do that for them. I'm a big believer in the fact that what people consider to be what gives them results um, is important. If someone feels like doing a ton of sit-ups and making their abs hurt the next day, 
decent results and they really enjoy that, I'm going to do that. I don't believe that doing loads of sit-ups is worthwhile, but if my client's trying to make better food choices and she goes to pull open a fridge and her, she's like, oh, I could feel that workout yesterday. She's mm. going to open that fridge and she's going to look in there and she's going to see Greek yogurt versus, I don't know, something processed and easy to eat real quick. She's going to go for the, they're going to go for the option that's, that's healthier. Um, yeah. And that they, if they finish a workout doing uh, 250 meter or 200 meter sprints in a row of five times and walk out the gym, like absolutely flawed. And that they're like, oh, it's a great workout. In their eyes, they're walking away thinking the cardio was brilliant and I feel like I've had a really tough workout. And what I'm thinking, the progressive overload mm-hmm. on their strength lifts, the, the fact we've worked on left lateral flexion of the spine, I've got that hip internal rotation working slightly better. We've worked on some wall cogs to improve neck positioning during a squat. My brain's going, that's the gold. That's what's delivering. My client thinks it's, and I'm not saying, who knows who's right in this conversation? My brain goes, I believe, I believe the strength training and the posture work is, is the stuff that's more powerful. The, 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 the row at the end is what my client thinks is more powerful. I don't really care what's more powerful. All I care about is if my client's happy, enjoying sessions, coming back, seeing results, whatever result might be for the individual. Um, it takes a confident trainer to, look, to teach basics. They, this is a big issue with mm-hmm. the high-intensity interval training and, and young trainers is, they lack confidence in what they do. They lack confidence in being able to coach the basics. So therefore they over deliver with variety because they, they, they are undelivering with the skill of coaching. Um, and at some point in time, if they stick to the game long enough, they'll have that education. I believe they'll have that education. Um, mm-hmm. Or they're gonna be found out pretty quickly or the, like I said already, the next person that's prettier and in a better shape is gonna sort of knock them down the line a little bit. Um, so yeah, so for me, it's just taken, it takes time. And, I, and you talk to, talk to career trainers and a lot of them the same, like, yeah, yeah, when I was younger, I used to just, like get really nervous because my clients would be like, oh, we're doing that again. And I wouldn't know what to say. And my clients never say we're doing that again because I don't give them a chance to because they know from the start, I've explained exactly what we're going to be doing. There's no surprises. The workout's the same in 10 weeks time or the workout's similar in 10 weeks time. There's no surprises there to my clients because at the mm-hmm. very, very start, I'm like, cool, this is the way this is going to work. This is exactly what we're going to do. This is why we're going to do it. I'm empowering you in the process. So there's never, there's never a question about, oh, Andy, I've been doing this workout for quite a while. It's like, you, they know that. I've, I've preempted that conversation and I explained to them the why behind that need. I get them involved in measures. So more than anything, they're excited about the consistency. They're not bored with the consistency. If a coach can do that, and that's the difference between being a, like a trainer, a coach, and just a personal trainer, um, if you empower and, and, and uh, impart that knowledge on people, you're not having those awkward conversations around, Andy, when's my workout changing? Because I'm getting bored. If your client says to you, workout, when's my workout changing? I'm getting bored. You're doing something wrong. I, I believe, strongly believe you're doing something wrong. Um, I had a conversation with a girl on social media uh, recently. I put a post about variety and then she messaged back to say that everyone's different and some, pl- clients, some clients want want it different all the time. And then she made the, the, the statement that my demographic always want things to be different. And I was like, okay, I, you have me at everyone wants different things. But if your entire demographic want variety, is that because you make them do variety or do they actually say that to you? Mm. Because my job as a coach is to impart knowledge. I know that consistently doing the same thing improves the skill. If I want to learn the piano or I'm learning Spanish, the last thing I'm going to do is jump around with my Spanish learning I'm just going to get my verbs. I'm going to sit and conjugate them. I'm going to try and use them in practice. I'm going to do it step by step. 
Mm-hmm. The human body is no different. There's no reason, that there's no random chaos theory to the way that cells adapt to stresses. They adapt to, to the stresses that's, that improve and increase over time. That's how we get slightly better at things. That's how you learn. That's how gymnastics learns to do amazing things. They're not jumping into crazy stuff from the start. You watch gymnastics, a kid's it's taught as mm. basics. Everything is progressively stepped up and up and up. You watch an athlete, a sprinter, they go granular on drive mechanics. They go granular on landing mechanics. They learn each individual component and they skill and they practice and they drill it. Why are general population going to be any different? Why for the learning everything else are we doing it in gradual processes? But for some reason, we can throw random at people and that's going to stick. It doesn't make any sense. It, it, it yeah. defies logic and it goes against science. Um, and I appreciate there's more than one way to do things. Yeah. But I think as a whole, if, you, if you're just throwing random at people, at some point in time, you're going to stop and go, there's got to be a better way. Because I'm not yeah. teaching anyone if I'm doing things randomly. Uh, it's very hard if, if one week I do a ball hamstring curl, next week I do a slider, next week I do a, a foam roller hamstring curl, next week I do a machine hamstring curl, then I do a Nordic curl, then I do a razor curl, and then I do a band curl, and then I go and do, it's like, uh, where's the skill? Like, it, it, it takes ages to learn how to do any one of those things. Well, it takes rep- repetition, repetition, repetition. Um, and yeah, if you teach people that that's what you're going to do, you're going to make them better at moving, and you're going to... We're going to drill this for five weeks. And then in five weeks, time, I'm going to change it. Yeah. Cool. And I want to see improvement. And I'm going to give you feedback. I'm going to record your technique and show you you've improved. People love that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I don't believe then people turn around and say, can we change it? They, 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 get, mm-hmm. quite in, they get quite proud of the fact they're making improvements. Mm-hmm. I'm very adamant about form. And by cueing something differently, that exercise will completely change. And you didn't have to do something else to get the same sensation. Um, can you dive into how you cue things and what's your experience with how people receive that? I mean, cueing is huge, isn't it? Right? I listened yeah. to, I, I listened to uh, a coach today in the gym. Um, he was explaining to someone how uh, they would say, when I, when, I do a, when I do a deadlift, I keep getting told that it looks more like a squat than a deadlift. And then the coach said, like, yeah, what you need to do is put a band around the bar, anchor a band to a rack, and then it makes you pull back. And I was like, that's a really long-winded way of just telling someone to sit back into their heels or imagine <laughs> trying to close the car door with your butt or um, imagine sitting onto a stool or any one of the many, many coaching cues that you can use. And you've got to understand that some people learn really well from visual learning so they might need to see you do it some people might just see themselves do it some mm. might need some sort of tactile contact point to push their bum back physically to touch the wall some people um you can just mm. tell them it and they can listen to the words and do that uh, so we have to appreciate people learn differently and therefore yeah. certain coaching cues aren't going to work for the individual you should be as a coach learning how your client responds to those coaching cues do they learn better from tactile contact points do they learn better from um auditory learning are they much more kinesthetic are they able to feel it themselves um and then you write it down someone if you can't remember so you know right jill she needs to be shown things i had a client that if i could refer to things like as like imagine you're a monkey or imagine you're a dolphin or imagine you're a giraffe like it worked and one of my my favorite mentors was a coach was is a coach called gareth cole who i work with at first base in london mm-hmm. he his use of language 
he not only was he by far to this day still the smartest PT I've ever worked with. He basically was a physiotherapist. He was just unbelievable what he knew. Um, but he never made you know that on a gym floor because he'd always be talking in very, very two, three things he'd say. He'd, he'd make it a bit of a joke, but by, by God, did his clients get it. They were like, they'd laugh and then like, bang, done. Imagine you're a gorilla. And they're like, they're laughing. <laughs> and the next rep, it's like, cool. That's what I wanted. Um, just, just like acting class. Yeah. I just, like, I'm just, just in a fantastic coach. And I'll put, hold my hands and say, like, I, I haven't got that capacity like he had. He's by far a better, he's actually just a better coach around, but he's mm. uh, by far a better communicator than I ever will be probably. Um, coaching cues is, is massive. Um, I, I think as coaches, we, we try and make out we're smart by going, hey it might be weak glutes or it might i'll just go and do some mini band work and come back or maybe i'll i'll, I'll go and do maybe a weak core let's go do some stir the pot on a, on a medicine ball it's like or you could teach them the brace you could have teaching the brace and teaching the breeze like just mm. teach them don't yeah. don't, don't over complicate this journey for people most people you've, you've either chosen the wrong exercise from the start and that's huge like if you're trying to get someone to deadlift off the floor and they're six foot five with long, long femurs and short arms, and you've picked that exercise, there's your problem. And you can try and cue that as much as you like, and it's never <laughs> going to look right. And it's never going to be very comfortable for that particular lifter. So, um, but I think sometimes you just want to make sure things as basic as possible. Make sure we're choosing exercises that aren't dumb for people because some people just can't fit certain lifts and that's okay. We need to understand that. So learn that as a coach. Um, and then learn how to use language, how to use um, empathy. Not everyone, not everyone learns quickly. Some clients take ages to learn stuff. And again, I'm a big believer that if you've got a client that's taking a long time to learn something, I put the emphasis back on the PT, not the person. Like if you're, if you're trying to teach something to someone too soon and you've, you've gone through the exercises too quickly and they've not become skilled enough at one exercise to then earn the right to even do the next exercise, um, again, it, it falls back on the trainer. Like it, it understand the order sometimes. And it hasn't, it's not like it's a perfect order. But for me personally, like I'm going to teach a client to split squat before I'm going to teach a client to, to, to barbell back squat. I'm going to teach them to goblet squat and split squat. And I'm going to get the split squat against the wall so they've got loads of support and hold a pole so they're nice and balanced. And I'm going to teach things in order. So when I go to a split squat opposite, opposite side loaded, they know that pattern. They've done that before. The last training phase, we were holding a pole. So now all I'm doing is I'm moving a weight into their arm. I'm not throwing random at them. So they're like, oh my God, this is totally new. Mm -hmm. um, it's this really nice, seamless motion. Then you can use language and coaching cues. And remember we said about tripod of the foot when you should press your heel down a little bit more. Remember that one? Yeah, use that one. So you're just, you're just going back to old cues that work really well. Um, it's worth writing that sort of stuff down. Um, and then it's, again, it's that idea of we're empowering, we're coaching people. We're not just... I'm not putting someone through a workout. That's not my job. Like that's, if you think your job as a personal trainer is just making someone work out and get, and get sweaty, you either need to change your opinion, change your tune pretty quickly, or you're going to be out of this industry in a couple of years' time, in my opinion. Maybe a couple, a handful might get through, but I think most people need to realize that um, it's a wonderful coach-client experience when their client feels confident in the next step of the, the sort of step up in exercises we've all seen that that pt take a client to the deadlift like way too soon and they're teaching the hip hinge whilst in the deadlift you're like really you, you've not you've not 
you've not practiced this with a kettlebell, you've not practiced this body weight over by a mirror with a with a dowel so they can actually mm-hmm. learn this. You've just brought them straight here. Like all the coaching cues in the world now aren't going to help you. Like this person's just going to struggle. It's uncomfortable for the client. It's equally as uncomfortable for the trainer or the trainer's like, oh, my clients are movement more and they don't move. It's like, it's like client's fault. It's your fault. Like you, mm-hmm. you just chose the wrong exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, learning, learning cues, stealing. I mean, I believe that the best coaches are the best feats. Now I just hear people say things. I'm like, that's amazing. My clients say things to me. Oh, I imagine I'm doing this. I'm like, that's genius. <laughs> I'm using that again. Um, always on the lookout for a good coaching cue uh, because they can be subtle and a subtle change in a cue can make a big difference to someone and their ability to understand it. And I appreciate that also it's okay to like, don't always use the same coaching cue. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't, don't think that everyone needs to understand to screw their feet into the floor in a squat or pull the floor apart with a squat. Like you don't mm-hmm. necessarily always have to use the obvious ones. You can just say like, I don't know, imagine you're kicking a mouse away with your foot. Like it can be something silly, but it might resonate to that person because you know that personality. And um, that's that personal touch. The difference between cookie cutter programs generic training and just like getting a paycheck and going home versus lifelong coach determined to educate impart knowledge better themselves upskill their own knowledge upskill their clients knowledge um and then everything you do thereafter becomes lovely because it's just like yeah you'll make mistakes but mistakes aren't big and you're not putting people in deadlifts way too soon so um yeah i think queuing for me Cueing, understanding correct exercise selection or having at least a thought about an order in which you want to teach something to people. So there's a lovely step by step. And it's not just for you as a trainer. It's helpful as a trainer for sure. But it's more importantly, it's to a consumer. Um, it's just not, it's much nice to have that journey with a PT. Yeah. Um, talk a little bit about your journey into third space. There's a gym here called Equinox, and it reminded me of it. So is that UK's version of an Equinox? But we, we have an Equinox in London as well. So, oh, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. We've uh, got, there's two Equinoxes in London. There's one in, there's a black label one, which is like wildly expensive. And yeah. then there's, a, uh, there's another one, which is also wildly expensive yeah. in Kensington. Is it similar um, to Equinox or is it something else? Yeah, I guess it's sort of similar, um, but it's better. <laughs> In my opinion, yeah, I'm um, sure. <laughs> hey, I, I I've had a very charmed route through my coaching. I, I lucked out big time with a. Uh, I was at a, a gym brand in London, in the UK, called um, David Lloyd. Before that, I was with a uh, another gym that I moved to David Lloyd, and then I worked there, and I got a bit disillusioned with with personal training. I went into fitness management, and I just hated that because it's just like an admin role. Um, and then I sort of did a few courses with a view to move to London. I got chatting to someone who was a member of Third Space in Soho, and they were raving about it. So for me, that was the, the gym I wanted to go to. I went to other, I went to other gyms as well. And I've been in the industry like six years. I've been a coach for six years. I've been in the industry. I've done a lot of classes, some PT, and I was a fitness manager. So I wasn't really that great as a PT um in the first six years and i was just playing football i wasn't really doing an awful lot of strength training it was all like bosu balls and like power plate vibration stuff um and then there's a fitness uh, fit pro convention in uh, the uk at a, a sports university loughborough university and um i just happened to be going to the fit pro and it was a pre-convention uh, sorry i wasn't going to fit pro i was going to a pre-convention uh, like summit before and I was listening to guest speakers 
And uh, there's a, a Chuck Wolf, who's a mm. from America. He's a, yeah. he's a sprint sprint coach. He was talking, and um, anyway, that was the I believe that was the Friday. The talk was I came in for my interview like on the Wednesday, and um, and I, I was sat at my depth. Like what they were talking about, I was like, wow, these guys are like this is another level up. I, did, I didn't even know there was another level in personal training. There was no social media to expose you to that. I just thought. David Lloyd personal training was was kind of the thing. And I thought I was, I, I knew my stuff. And then I walked in and I was talking to people. And then I was like, these guys talking like a different language. It feels like I just, I don't, I'm never going to get a job here. It's, this is, this is, this is too much of a step for me. And I got chatting to the, at the time, the fitness, the fitness manager who was doing the, uh, the interview and then ending, end the interview that I don't think that went that well. Um, which we planned for weekends. I'm like, oh, I'm going to Laprof just for the uh, the pre-con, the summit. He's like, oh, I'm gonna go as well. Who are you gonna see talk? Chuck Wolf. I said, like, yeah, me too. And uh, so we both went. I went to to, uh, to the Fit Pro, and I saw Matt, the the manager, and was just like, this is my chance. Like, if I want to join David at first base, I just need to go speak to this guy. Mm. And I just she was just like, just turn on charm. I don't naturally. <laughs> talk to people very much anyway I, normally i'd just sit there and quiet and i'd make notes but i was like right go chat <laughs> was chatty sat at lunch with them we were having a laugh like they'd like a beer i liked a beer so we had we shared stories of some stuff we'd done stupid stuff we'd done when we were kids mm-hmm. um and i got the job and i walked into there and was like i need to upskill my knowledge quick because we had some great coaches in there one of which is phil learning who's a pt in in the oh. uk who's gone on to i follow him and, he's cool yeah so yeah i was really lucky he was like one of my first mentors um oh, him, cool. him gareth cole so very very quickly very very luckily was alongside some brilliant brains phil was di- different and i don't always agree with the stuff that he taught me he says but by god is he ruthlessly efficient and he's a br- brilliant businessman his knowledge is is unbelievable um we had a physiotherapy center that we could go and we could go and do like a um, shadow, just go shadow physiotherapist for some sessions. Um, so I was just like, I just need to learn because otherwise I'm going to, I'm going to die here. There's, there's, there's so much knowledge here. I'm just never going to make it. Yeah. Um, a guy called Jess Wilcox, um, uh, Gareth Cole, who I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. uh, Phil learning. And then a bit later, a guy called Mikey Smith, who's a bodybuilding coach. Um, I just latched on to anyone who I considered to be the smarter than me, which was everyone. And I was like, I just want to learn. I want to learn from as many people as possible. Studied, grafted, worked. Um, and then Third Space has gone through a transition. Those coaches then left to start their own businesses. Um, and and it's, a different, it's a different business to what it was then. Back then, if I hit my target, I got an education bonus and I could spend that education bonus on whatever I want. So I could go away and study advanced biomechanics. I could go away and buy... Thomas Myers and Ask Me Trains and like, I could just do some really cool things. Nowadays, they're very much Mike Boyle, FRC. Um, mm-hmm. uh, what's the um, the assessment that everyone does? A generic assessment. FMS, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's very much, they're very much in that model of training. And that's great. But back when I first started working there, the, the beauty was the diversity of the coaches was unbelievable. We had... Mm-hmm sprint coaches in there we had rugby coaches in there bodybuilding physique coaches you had powerlifters, olympic weightlifters boxers cool. to really high level and you're just like i just can't believe how how much information i, I can get um and you just sit in the locker in the in the like, it's the sort of place you'd go into the office and they'd be talking about the 
uh, anatomy and physiology of the rotator cuff and how eccentric mm. force affects the rotator cuff. You're like, wow, I, I can just sit cool. and dr- eat food and hear a really interesting conversation about something at the same time. And it, it, it's not like that anymore, sadly. But um, it was just an amazing place to learn. Um, and then towards the end of myself and Luke Worthington, who's also his Nike, Nike master trainer now, um, Luke and I moved into education. We were helping to like, educate the, uh, the younger PTs coming through. And, uh, and then both of us left at a similar sort of time to, to, to do other things. Um, but I feel very lucky. It's a brand that I absolutely love. I think it's a, it's a brilliant gym. It's a better gym now as far as a facility than it was then. I think more anything else is the diversity of the coaches. Nowadays, you go in there and there's amazing coaches in there, brilliant, brilliant coaches in there. But I, I, I think it lacks the it lacks there was just so much variety as pts i could go you could go and work with someone that actually had like yeah been in rugby and trained to a high level in rugby and they had a very different sort of ethos around the way they trained it was just great to see it um some that you don't agree with but it's just yeah in not in not agreeing with something it just opens your eyes to another to another yeah. argument and and that's where and then what we were saying about reflecting i think I didn't start to truthfully reflect back on a lot of that information until much, much later and remember conversations I had where potentially back then I was argumentative in the conversation because I had my own agenda. And then I sort of stopped to go, oh, it's really interesting because now I actually, now I'm not in the, in the gym just training people. I'm a bit more open to actually what they were saying has space and does make sense. And there was a reason to why you wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, no, it's uh, that was a 10, 10 11 years. Um, oh wow! That yeah, that really shaped the coach that I am today, and I'm, I'm always very thankful for the brand. That's key with having uh, diversity in that in different types of modalities or sports. You saying that story, I, there are some similarities with Equinox where I was from, and I stayed there for eight years, and um, I went through it and had my moments of like frustration with the changes that were happening. But at least in the States, they want to make a very specific type of trainer. And I get it business-wise. It's safe because when they leave, they can go to somebody else that's just like them. But I, but there was a moment in, I guess, the corporate gym world where there was that conversation had. And I said my, my opinion about it. And I was like, well, I think we need a person who's very good at this and very good at this. But it got glossed over uh, partly because it was it was experimental and it meant that, well, those aren't the type of people that come here. But there's aspects of that sport or skill that you could probably learn from and have people adapt to different types of training. Well, what's what's your experience with a corporate gym mentality, how you can learn from it, but there's also kind of some deficits it has? Yeah, there is exactly that. That is the 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 story that I'm about to say is, is the same as that, like. You like anything. If I go into a high street restaurant, uh, a chain restaurant, you want like a brand standard. If I walk into Equinox in downtown New York and I go to Equinox in West Hollywood, I can expect a certain level of service. I can expect a certain level of facility and I can expect a certain level of trainer. And so I appreciate the need to standardize the brand. and this doesn't sound pretty harsh again there's a low barrier to entry again like i said in in um in training and not not all trainers are that bothered about education like some people get into Mm -hmm. industry because they look pretty and they 
like attention that social media gives them and and all these sorts of things so, so it's it's good to get a base level of, of, of knowledge because within the framework of third space we had these amazing trainers and we had some utter garbage too uh, who were just like oh I don't understand why, how you're a trainer. I don't understand what you're doing here. You just yeah. like, you do the same. I see you do the same session to the last five clients. Like every single one of your clients is doing the same thing. You're making, and it doesn't matter if they're overweight, trying to build muscle, they're just doing the same thing. Like you've not asked anyone anything. You're just churning through the same workout. I don't, you, that's not good personal training. Uh, so I really appreciate the need to elevate the standard because the standard of personal training, like I had it recently. I had two, two people message me recently about their experiences with personal trainers and how unprofessional in conversation the personal trainer was and how much of their personal life was divulged in the session as in the trainer's mm, personal life mm-hmm. and stuff that was a bit graphic and, and not particularly well. <laughs> not, not even remotely professional mm. and we can't pretend that this stuff is just an isolated incident like it, it mm. happens sadly yeah. a bit more like people, personal trainers maybe they see that you can earn a hundred dollars an hour or like in the uk we could earn yeah, in, in London, like your headline prices for a PT, they're, they're quite impressive. Like it's not unlikely for a PT to be on £80 an hour up to £150 per hour. And if you just sit here and do the math and go £150 per hour times 50 hours a month times 12 months a year. Mm. Oh my God, I'm making 250 grand a year. Yeah. And I think people walk into it like that and they, they sort of don't realize that if I'm going to be charging 150 pounds an hour, gee, I need to be a good trainer. I, mm-hmm. not, not, you can't just be any old person doing that. Yeah. Um, and then you get them in and they're kind of like a bit disillusioned to the fact that early mornings, late nights. Um, so you need to make sure that every single trainer coming in is going to be at the right level, that understands that, that, mm-hmm. that appreciates that there is an education, a minimum standard of education. Um, and there's this need to brand standard the uh the brand itself um but in doing so we do lose the fantastic variety that different sports have as much as i go back to there are basics that need to be appreciated and, and adhered to in my opinion yeah. it's still it's still fabulous to watch a um i remember watching a girl called vicky fleetwood she's a uh, england rugby pro she's now actually full-time with england and we had a fantastically we had her for like a year or so she was just brilliant. Like she was just great to watch. She moved like nothing else. She was a machine to watch. She was a beast. She lifted heavy. She was athletic, agile, mobile, really inspiring to any young woman watching her. That's super, super important. And then she went on, went off to like compete in her sport. I mean, what, what more mm. could you possibly want in a gym to say she used to work for us. And then she's got a, a core of women and people yeah. she worked with that have had that wave of influence in their life. Um, and you, to a degree, you lose that when you just have a brand standard and you just generically train. You get people from a young age, you put them through the ranks, they go through a tiering system. Um, so I get it. I get the need to do it. I understand why Equinox and brands like First Place have done it. Um, what will happen is there'll be a shorter shelf life. The PTs will last five years and they'll, they'll go off to something different or they'll go off and do their own thing. Um, yeah, like I said, it's, I appreciate it. It needs to happen, but you do lose a little bit at the same time. One of the last things I wanted to touch on is the longevity debate, because, you know, the, the game is longevity, uh, but then there's also like getting too comfortable with that in terms of not testing or adapting in different ways and, and seeing what your body is capable of. So what are your thoughts around longevity and personal training? As a, as a career or as a lifter? 
or as a, a lifter, trainer. like the reason for personal training, like working out. Yeah. I appreciate there is a debate. Um, the debate is flawed because the argument, the conversation is in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to progress all the time, constantly progress. I want to constantly progress, but I also appreciate that what is progression? What there's so many things that I can do. If I think of what are the trainable qualities for a human being, I can get stronger, maximum strength. I can have strength endurance. And within that, that field, I can also have strength at other different spectrums. I can be more reactive. I can improve landing mechanics. I can jump higher, be more powerful. I can develop speed strength or strength speed. I can be more plyometric. I can improve range of motion, flexibility, end range, end range control. I can be more neurokinetic in the way that I move. Um, core training. I can do anti-rotation core training, or I can do stability-based core training, movement-based core training, or power-based core training. I've got all these buckets to fill. At no one point in time, and I then moved to cardiovascular training, and I've got endurance, lactic threshold, alactic threshold, anaerobic peak. I've got all these things that I can do. I, I've got how many buckets that I can fill up at any one point in time. I can't have them all filled all the time. And appreciating that over the course of your calendar year, you might touch on a quarter of those buckets and you've got all these other things that you can then work on over time. Um, you always want to be progressing at something, but there's so many things that you can progress at that mm-hmm. you're never going to be stuck for things to, to, to improve. The problem is the conversation is usually always around strength and muscle. And mm-hmm. we forget that, can you jump? How high can you jump? Can you land? Can you land under mm-hmm. load? Can you land dissipate force and produce force? Can you do change direction drills? Have you worked on mobility? What's your backline mobility like? What's your spiral line mobility like? If you educate people what these things, I don't need to understand like a coach understands, but you can understand, you can educate around flexibility versus mobility. Cool. So I can understand that I have static capacity to express motion in a passive sense versus the, the ability to take my joint through that range of motion. Okay, there's two different journeys I can go on with a client anyway. Um, so I've got all these things that I could explain to my client that we could be working on, which is why I think it's really important to stick to things for a decent chunk of time to see mm-hmm. improvement, knowing full well that I can then bring new stuff in and go, right, this block, that block's over. Now we're going to start. We haven't worked on change direction drills ever. We're going to work on that. We haven't touched on endurance for a few months. So we're going to bring endurance back in. And I do appreciate we've not been so much doing loads of work on that rotator cuff injury that we worked on before. We're going to bring that into play now. Um, I can be proving different different things all the time. And I'm not even mentioning skill acquisition. So important to have some sort of skill-based training, some sort of still skill, skill-based goal within the workout. Mm-hmm. The conversation around longevity often is fun. It's just like, you can't keep getting stronger and keep lifting more weight and keep adding muscle. Yeah, of course you can't. But that's not the only thing that we can do. We've got this fantastic ability to improve human movement. Watch, watch the, just watch the Olympics and the, and the Winter Olympics. Look at all the cool things that human beings can do, all these things that we can express. And as, an, as a general person, you're not necessarily going to know what those, those things are. But as a coach, you can start going, cool, I've got a lot of things I can understand that athletes do that the general population could try. If we start thinking of people as athletes, everyone's an athlete, we've got athletic capabilities in the, within us. We can start to train people to just year on year make improvements. And yeah, your deadlift might not always get better. That's okay. And we're not looking for a monster deadlift. But we want to have a capacity to have some sort of level of strength in a deadlift whilst I might be improving vertical jump. I might be improving the ability to skip. I might be improving something else. So I just got all these other things. The core of the exercises often say the same. I can be doing the same exercise for power, strength, bodybuilding, uh, speed strength, strength, speed, 
like all that stuff can say, mm-hmm. I can deadlift, I can deadlift through all those. Um, so for me, it's just, uh, we, we just, we go granular on hypertrophy and strength. We don't explore plyometric skill, skill acquisition. We don't coach people. We just keep them needing these sessions with personal trainers. And um, if we explain this, all this array of things that we can work on, longevity is fun because then you're like, cool, mm-hmm. every year, I could be improving things. I can't be improving deadlift all the time. And I don't want to be improving deadlift all the time because that's not long. That's not longevity. Um, I had, I had, I had brought the deadlift back into my own workouts, maybe I think about 18 weeks ago. And I hadn't deadlifted for maybe a year or so. Cool. That's important to understand that those exercises, I can still hinge. I was doing kettlebell swings and broad jumps. So I was still doing the movement. I just wasn't doing it under load. Mm-hmm. Um, came back to deadlifting yeah i was a bit weaker but actually now i'm pretty much back to where i was previously um but i'm way more explosive i, I don't feel as much like lower back discomfort in the process and we're just we're just moving the needle along a little mm. bit and we're not going too focused on like getting in shape because getting yeah. in shape just means how you look and mm-hmm. how you look is a product it's not what you're trained for it's just like a nice side of side addition to yeah. quality training yeah. And that's what I wanted to make this podcast about is because we can get into very specific things and then that's just the whole conversation, but just overall what personal training means and how that can look like in different ways for people. It, it, it depends on how you approach that question. Um, yeah. The last thing that I'll kind of, I'll leave off with is just a fun question just to think about and see what you say. Um, since you are kind of in a position now where you are traveling around the world or you can work from anywhere, uh, what would constitute a perfect day for you today's been pretty good i woke up at 5 30 i was in the water by 6 30 i was surfing from 6 30 till 8 i was online for nine uh <laughs> i'll work i'll work through to today i'm sorry now actually <laughs> i've got a cleaner coming in here now so he's got to get out of this uh, i'm gonna go do some spanish in a little bit but something like something fun learning so something like sit and read um I'm like bed by nine club. I love being in bed early. I'm not a late okay. night kind of person. Um, so sit, sit watching the sunset uh, with my wife on a balcony. Um, I want to keep working there because in a sense, like I obviously enjoy what I do and it, it sustains this, this way of life for me. So I, I think to, to talk about a perfect day and just to not have work in there is just unrealistic. Like I need to have work in there at some point. Um, but yeah, no, I really... I have appreciated quite recently being on this trip how little I need materially to be happy. Mm. Um, whereas I live in Ibiza in the summer and Ibiza is a very expensive place. It's very showy. And mm. um, you spend a lot of money on nonsense. And I've realized that actually doesn't realign to who I am and that's something that needs to change in the, in the near future. Um, I'm quite happy with a sunrise sunset it seems a surfboard and a gym as well because I trained today as well. So yeah, as long as I've got sunrise, it's probably a sunset, the beach, a gym session, a little bit of work and uh, maybe a little bit of study or something fun. And then maybe a beer at sunset. Then okay. I'm happy. <laughs> Are you a creative person? Uh, I don't necessarily consider myself to be. It was one of those sort of limiting beliefs I had, um, something like around how I, when I first started learning a language, I was like, I can't learn a language. My brain is not geared up that way. I don't really consider myself to be very creative, but within the, 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 the world, because I wouldn't paint and I not, couldn't necessarily learn a language that easily. Uh, sorry, I, uh, learn a, a musical instrument that easily. 
but certainly within the framework of my job. Um, I think quite creatively around how to yeah. solve problems, how to generate force in a certain direction. Yeah. So I've started to learn more more recently in the last sort of year or so, actually, very recently. Um, I'm probably more creative than I give myself credit for. Um, it's just not the traditional creativity. It's much more mm -hmm. around my, my job and, and uh, fitness. Yeah. Well, thanks, Andy. I really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, having me some time. I love talking to you and we can always talk for a long time, but yeah. How can people connect with you if they want to for coaching or even just uh, see? Yes, so my, we can go through my Instagram, Andy Vincent PT, or my uh, website is andyvincentpt.com. Uh, they're usually the best places to, to reach out to me and see what I do. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks, Andy. Have a good one. All right. Great chat. All right. Ciao. Thank you for listening to today's episode of This Undefined. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Share the voice. And if you want more content to explore, as well as follow other projects we're working on, go to the website at www.thekilosproject.com and follow us on Instagram at The Kilos Project. Till next time, train, recover, create.